So you know we're working through the book of John. It took us two weeks to get through chapter one. We're going to do chapter two in a week, uh, just today. We're going to do all of chapter two, 25 verses. Uh, on first glance, it doesn't seem like a whole lot's going on. Jesus goes to a wedding. It turns into a real good party. He goes to the temple, gets a little rowdy, throws some tables around. That's it. Okay? But there may be deeper things going on than you realize. So uh, let's look at those and see if we can figure it out. <clears throat> and uh, spoiler alert, it's going to have a lot to do with prayer. All right? Okay. <clears throat> Pardon me. I uh, am doing a little congestion thing, so I'll try not to do that very often. Okay, now what I want to do to begin, and you have your notes if you want to follow along, or you can just open to John chapter 2 and, and work with me. Um, I want to begin by just reviewing one small part of what we covered in John chapter 1, because I want to build on this a little bit, or I, I just want to remind you of this, because I think it pertains. In John chapter 1, we learned that Jesus came to make us sons, not just to save us, to bring us into the family, to make us sons. And because we are sons, Paul says in Galatians, we qualify to be filled with the spirit of his son. And we talked about how Jesus is a gate of heaven, angels ascending and descending upon him, how he made us the temple of his presence, a gateway of heaven, angels ascending and descending upon us. Francis Chan was just kind of talking about that. Now, it's really cool for me to say that and make a theological point and for us to all theoretically be portals connecting earth to heaven where the kingdom of God can operate. But it's how many of you uh, are dissatisfied with the theoretical, uh, would like to actually have the kingdom of God manifest through you uh, as you do things in your life, right? Okay, well, I think I'm going to have a key for you today to make that happen. Now, uh, we start out, I'm going to break it into two sections. The first is the wedding at Cana, which uh, everyone should be familiar with because Jesus turned water into wine, and I don't care, even if you're not a Christian, that's cool. So uh, everybody knows that story, right? <clears throat> so let's read it real quickly, and then I wanna, I'm not going to talk long about it. I want to mostly focus on the second part. <clears throat> on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, uh, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, hold on to that. That's going to be important. This isn't my time. Why are you bugging me about this? His mother said to the servants, I love how she just didn't even say anything else to Jesus. Any of you have mothers understand this. There was probably a look in there somewhere. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says, you do it. Now there were there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. This is going to be a lot of wine, guys. <clears throat> Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. And when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom, and he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, once they're all liquored up, uh, then you set out the inferior wine, because they can't tell the difference at that point, right? 
Uh, you have kept the good wine until now. So not only did Jesus turn water into wine, he turned it into better wine than they had. <clears throat> this beginning of signs that Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory. I want to note, underline that phrase, manifested his glory also. And his disciples believed in him. And after this, he went down to Capernaum, he and his mother, his brothers, and his disciples. And they did not stay there many days. Now, so Jesus does his first miracle there. But uh, it says in verse 11 that he manifested his glory. But in verse 4, it's very clear that this was before the planned time. And a minute, you're going to see why this is important. He manifested his glory, but it was not his plan to start his ministry at a wedding in Cana. He had a different plan. We're going to see that in just a minute. Uh, but mom asked and he did it, right? Now, I get that, you know, moms are special, but there are three things that I take away from this that this tells us about Jesus that I want you to get that we'll come back to in a minute. One the God of heaven and earth who created everything, who has a plan that he developed before the foundation of the earth that he is following, has prepared good works beforehand for you to walk in, all that stuff, can be influenced by your request. Think about that. That's important to note. Because some people don't realize that God actually can be influenced by our desires, by our request. God will sometimes change his mind uh, not on big stuff like, you know, his plans for the earth. But uh, he will change his mind based on our prayers. He will do things that we ask sometimes. Just like he did. Isn't that interesting? So I, I just want you to get that. That just the concept that we have influence with the infinite God is amazing. We should probably exercise that, shouldn't we? Just a thought. The second is, I want to note that Jesus seems to enjoy celebration. He took a bunch of people who'd been drinking a lot and made more wine so they could keep celebrating. Now, I'm not, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not endorsing drunkenness. Uh, the Bible clearly does not endorse drunkenness. It does address it, and it addresses it as something we should avoid. But, I'm not saying Jesus was helping everybody get drunk. I'm saying Jesus was enjoying the celebration, and he did what he could do so that the celebration could continue. And he gave him really good wine. So Jesus likes to celebrate. Sometimes he likes it so much, if you ask, he'll extend the celebration. Right? So if you get real excited on a Sunday morning, it comes time to go home, and you ask, he might extend what he's doing. Just a thought. Third thing that stands out to me is he made really, 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 really good wine. Jesus always has better stuff than the world. Jesus always has better stuff than the world. So not only did he extend the celebration, he gave them better stuff. He took the celebration up a notch by giving them some really good wine, right? So I want you to remember those three things about Jesus. We'll come, <clears throat> pardon me, back to him. In a little bit, but I want to go to uh, the next section in John 2, or the remaining section of John 2. And this is where Jesus cleanses the temple. And I want you to note that it is at the time of Passover. Uh, I want to submit to you that Passover was the planned time. 
This was the time he planned to manifest his glory. He intended, I believe, you don't have to agree with me, my opinion is he intended to start his ministry at Passover. Because we all know he was going to end it at Passover when he became the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world for the sins of all of us, right? And uh, Passover, uh, he was the, the Lamb, the Passover Lamb. So it was significant. So I believe he wanted to start it here. Mom just got him to start a little early. So let's read. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and he found that in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. And when he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. I would so love to see this because you always, you know, in the movies, you always have that kind of English accent, Jesus. <laughs> and he does this sort of politely, you know. I, mean, I, would, I would just love to see what that looked like. Tables flying, and, you know, Pharisees screaming, and whips <laughs> cracking. Money going everywhere. Sounds like a good day at church. (laughs) And he said to those who sold the doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Now that's interesting because doves were necessary for worship. That was one of the offerings. So it was totally appropriate for there to be a place where you could buy a dove so you could offer it. Right? We'll get back to that. Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. That's out of Psalm 69. So the Jews answered and said to him, what sign do you show us since you do these things? By what authority do you whip us and throw our tables around? And Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Now we know what he meant. They didn't know what he meant. Then the Jews said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. We know that's his death and resurrection over a three-day period. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which he had said. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, (coughs) pardon me, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, Many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. Keep that in mind. Um, But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men, and he had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. In other words, he knew better than to trust any of us, right? He loves us, but he knows what's in us. So, let's begin to unpack this. The reason I believe Passover was the planned times is because this is when the first time we see him being intentional about doing something. And what is interesting to me is what he's intentional about. The first thing Jesus does is get a little crazy in the temple and start throwing tables around. Is that interesting to you? Maybe we should consider why why did he start with that? Why is that the first thing he did? It'll get more interesting. Now, One of the reasons I find that interesting is because the whole persona of the Messiah was meekness. This is, there's only two times he wasn't meek, right? And this is one of them. In Isaiah 42, verse 1 through 4, 
Uh, this is quoted in Matthew 12, so it's brought into the New Testament specifically about Jesus. So it's very clear from Matthew and from Isaiah that he's talking about Jesus. It says, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. Nations and Gentiles is the same word. Justice to the Gentiles. Remember when I told you last week? They kept getting focused on Jerusalem and on Israel, and God was going, God, it's way bigger than that. This thing's going to the whole earth. Now, they should have known that because that's all through the Old Testament. But they'd lost that. They'd forgotten that. He's bringing forth justice to the Gentiles, to the nations. Keep that in mind. He will not cry out, nor raise his voice, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and the smoking flax he will not quench. Super duper meek, right? People try and kill him, he just walks through the crowd, do 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 and walks off. Didn't even fight back. Didn't even need Croft. They had that later, right? He will bring forth, uh, he, he will bring forth justice for truth. He will not fail nor be discouraged. He will not fail nor be discouraged. He will bring forth justice to the nations. It will happen. I'm amazed that Jesus, knowing you and me and all of us, can go thousands of years and never get discouraged. Isn't that amazing? I get discouraged with myself, you know, several times a week. He doesn't. He's celebrating. All right, where was I? Oh, till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands shall wait for his law. So again, I want you to see two things. Super meek, and his goal is justice in the earth, not just Israel, in the nations, right? So Jesus, the meek, twice expresses what I would call violent zeal, both times in the temple. Uh, we saw that in verse 17, where they remembered Psalm 69. Do you know the other time he does it? Three years later, triumphal entry, Jesus comes in, they're all going, yay, you're the Messiah. Now we know what happens a week later, he becomes the lamb that was slain. In between that, he goes to the temple, and he does it again. He began and ended his ministry with this cleansing the temple, with this rowdy throwing tables around thing. That makes me think we should pay attention to this, doesn't it? Jesus started his ministry at Passover by throwing tables around. He ended his ministry at Passover, days before he was crucified, by throwing tables around. We'll look at that passage in a second. So I go, we got to pay attention to this. This is more than just, I don't like that you guys are you know, doing money here, uh, or I just enjoy throwing tables around. There's something going on here. We should ask some questions. We should learn what this is about, right? Does one know what it's about? Okay, I'm going to help you. Right, so, first of all, my first question is, do you think he's concerned over the physical temple? Is he offended that this is the house of God and they've got things in the foyer that shouldn't be there? Anybody think that's the case? Probably not. Matthew 24 First couple of verses, Jesus' disciples are walking him around the temple. 
And they're going, uh, look at this, look at this, Jesus, isn't this awesome? And Jesus goes, yeah, you know what? None of it's going to be here pretty soon. It's all coming down. Not one stone left on another. Don't get too excited. It's all going away. This building, it's had it. 70 AD, they're going to raise this sucker. Doesn't seem like he's real concerned about the physical temple. Now let's catch what happened when they asked him, hey, you're throwing our tables around. Uh, by what authority do you do this? Uh, he doesn't just say, I'm the Messiah. He goes, uh, destroy this temple, and I'll raise up again in three days. You hear what he's saying? He's going, guys, you're worried about the wrong temple. I'm the temple. The temple's about the presence of God. I'm the embodiment of the presence of God. You are missing the whole point here, guys. He takes them who are concerned about uh, now they're going to have to set the tables back up in their temple and says, no, 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 you need to be focusing on this temple. In three days, I'll raise this temple back up, right? He is the temple. We need to get that point. He is the temple. So his disciples remembered that he was zealous. So it's very clear that he started and ended his ministry in a fit of zeal that caused temples, uh, ta tables to fly around, right? So what is he zealous about? Well, there's a clue in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7. It says, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. How many of you are excited about that? Even 100,000 years from now, somehow his government and peace will be increasing. It's not going to end. I like to pray, God, increase your government and your peace in my heart. There's room for increase of your government in my heart, God. Right? Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice. There's that justice thing again. For that, from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. What is the zeal of the Lord trying to perform or accomplish? The increase of his government and his peace. He is zealous about extending the government and peace of heaven to earth, to hearts, to cities, to nations, right? That's what he's zealous about. So this must have something to do with that, something to do with him extending his government and his peace to the earth. That makes sense? Okay. Building my case here. So it says the zeal of the Lord will perform this. Well, how is his zeal going to perform this? Well, now let's jump to the second time he cleanses the temple because there might be another clue there. This is Matthew chapter 21, verses 12 through 14. Now it says, then Jesus went into the temple. Now remember, this is three years later. This is the end of his ministry right after his triumphal entry, right? And he does the same thing. Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, I just, I love that they just put everything back. Like, you know, they didn't even, they should have seen Jesus come and go quick, move the tables, but no. <laughs> and he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. There's a big clue. We're going to zone in on that one. 
He is quoting Isaiah 56, verse 7. We'll look at that verse in a minute. But you have made it a den of thieves. He's also quoting Jeremiah 7 there, where Jeremiah talks about them making his temple a den of thieves. Uh, it says, and then it finishes in verse 14, then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. We'll just put that on the back burner for a second. We'll get back to that. So, I think his zeal has something to do with his house being a house of prayer. I think that's how he's going to accomplish the increase of his government and his peace. Prayer. You with me? Let's explore this. Let's look at Isaiah 56, 7. And he says, even them, and this is interesting because the them there, and again, the Jews should know this passage. Even the them, if you go to verse 6, it's super clear, inarguable, that the them he's referring to is foreigners. It uses the word foreigners. So he's talking about foreigners coming to his temple. Even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. How many of you have been to a joyful prayer meeting? Okay, good. I was hoping there'd be more. No reason for them not to be. Right? Joyful in the house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. For all nations. Right? Now, I'm going to explain to you uh, a little bit about what's going on here. The, what, uh, this is where you have to kind of just look into some of the history of the region and all that good stuff. What was going on, where they'd set up these tables, you had uh, the, the temple and the outer court and all that stuff, where the Jews could go in and out and they could offer their sacrifices. Gentiles couldn't go into the temple, remember? Uh, Paul got in serious trouble in the book of Acts because they thought he had brought a Greek into the temple. They wanted to kill him. You don't bring Gentiles into the temple. That's what the court of the Gentiles is for. There's this court just outside the temple called the court of the Gentiles. That's where they go. Stay, Gentiles. Stay. Right? That's where the Gentiles go. It's not as important as the temple. It's just there for the Gentiles. Sort of an unimportant court. And the convenient thing was, uh, it was a way you could cross from one side of the temple to the other. You could pass through. And so it kind of made a thoroughfare as well. So it was very convenient. The Jews could use it to get to the other side of the temple if they wanted to. In fact, it was so convenient, it was a great place to set up tables. And that's where they did it, in the court of the Gentiles. The place set aside for the nations to pray was where they set up the tables for merchandise because it wasn't that important and it needed to, they needed to have the merchandise. Now, here's what I want you to see. It is not wrong that they had animals that they were selling. It is not wrong that they had money changers. They had people coming from nations all over the earth uh, during the feasts. They needed to be able to change money. They needed to be able to purchase animals because you couldn't bring animals with you. It's a little difficult, you know, if you're coming from Cyprus and you've got to put your sheep on the ship and, you know, the other sailors don't like what the sheep are doing. And, uh, you know, you get there and your sheep's tired and he's had enough. It's just rough. 
so, so much easier just bring some money, change it into shekels, buy a sheep there at the temple, offer the sheep, right? Totally legit. They provide that service. The problem wasn't they provided it. The problem was where? They had put the uh, tables in the Gentiles' court in the place of prayer for all nations, right? Hear this. You ready? This is a big one. Somehow, the place of prayer had been replaced with legitimate religious activity. Just let that sink in. Somehow, the place reserved for prayer was now a place for just religious activity that needed to go on. You with me? Begin to see the problem. Begin to see the zeal issue going on here. My house shall be called a house of prayer. Now, there's something else going on. <clears throat> Abraham's promise, which they all knew, was twofold. It's very simple. God said to Abraham, because he was faithful and he believed God, he counted it as faith, and he said, here's what I'm going to do, God. One, I'm sorry, here's what I'm going to do, Abraham. He says, one, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a great nation. Two, you're going to be a blessing to the nations of the earth. Israel, hundreds of years later, knew the promise of God, I'm going to bless Israel and make him a great nation. What about two? The court of the Gentiles isn't that important. We can put stuff in there. They had totally lost sight that their mission was to be a blessing to the nations. In fact, they'd so lost sight that Jesus in chapter 12, uh, I'm sorry, in Matthew chapter 21, tells the parable of the vine dressers. Do you remember this parable? He says, hey, there's a guy who had a vine, uh, a vineyard, and he rented it out to vine dressers, and he would send servants to get his fruit. And they kept beating and killing his servants. And finally, he said, I'll send my son. And they said, this is the heir. Let's kill him, and this vineyard will be ours. And Jesus asked the Pharisees he's talking to, what do you think that vine dresser is going to, or what do you think that vine, vineyard owner is going to do to those vine dressers? He said, he's going to kill them. He said, yeah. He says, have you not read the stone that the builder rejected has become the chief cornerstone? And this made them angry because they knew he was talking about them. And he says this. He says, therefore, the kingdom is taken from you and will be given to another who will bear fruit. I want fruit. You're not bearing fruit. I'm going to take it away from you and give it to the Gentiles. That was a heavy statement. And that's why we have church here in Melbourne, Florida. You got it? So we're supposed to be bearing fruit with this good news going to the nations. Amen? So that's going on. So they have taken the place of joyful prayer and replaced it with religious activity. And they've lost sight of God's heart for the nations they're just concerned about their thing. It's our temple. The court of the Gentiles is unimportant. Not a big deal. They can come and pray if they want to. They just got to stand by a table. They can get changed while they're there. Right? You follow me? Begin to see why this is a big deal that Jesus began and ended his ministry with cleansing the temple, with reminding them, my house is a house of prayer for all nations. Now, one other thing I wanted to point out, 
we will note both in Matthew 21, the second time, and in John 2, the first time, that as soon as he cleansed the temple, as soon as he reminded them that it was a house of prayer, what followed? Healing and signs. It's almost as if, if we put prayer first, then the healings and signs will follow. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, the most important thing you can do is be a house of prayer. Then I will come and heal and perform signs. Just a thought. You can experiment with that. Now, I want to look in Luke 19, because this is uh, a third place. It's also in Mark. Uh, Luke, Mark, and Matthew are all the second time. He cleanses the temple. The first time is only in John. So in Luke, again, this is the second time he cleanses the temple, but he does something interesting on the way in, and I want you to get this. So I'm going to read Luke 19, uh, 41 through 46. It says, now, as he drew near, he saw the city, and he wept over it. He wept over Jerusalem. He loves them. He does not want to throw their tables around. He said, if you had known, even you, especially in this day, the things that make for your peace. What makes for your peace? What makes your life peaceful? Where do you get peace? It says, but now they are hidden from your eyes, for days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side, and level you and uh, your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation, because you've missed this opportunity. You did not say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And it won't come back again until you do. Right? Then he went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in it, saying to them, it is written, my house is a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. There it is again. He's reminding them about prayer. Guys, it is really easy for us to find our peace in practice, in religious practices. Uh, how do you get peace? Well, I go to church. Well, I, I'm a good Christian. I pray to prayer. I'm going to heaven. Right? It's more than that. It's a relationship. You have to know the time of your visitation. You need visitation. Jesus was visiting, and they couldn't recognize it because their peace was wrapped up in their religious service. And let's note, within 40 years, that was all going to be torn down. Guys, if your peace is in anything other than Jesus, something will tear it down and won't leave a stone upon another. And your peace will be shaken. Jesus is lamenting that they didn't know the things that made for peace, and they didn't recognize the time of their visitation. Jesus wants to visit with us. Jesus wants to visit with us. Right? That's why his house is called a house of prayer, because it's a house of visitation, not primarily a house of religious activity. So, if we want to be his temple, the gate of heaven, we talked about that last week, remember? We're the temple of God. Paul says, 
Do you not know that you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? If we want to be his temple, a gate of heaven, angels ascending and descending upon us, signs and wonders, we have to first be a joyful house of prayer. It won't work any other way. Might have to turn some tables over in our hearts. We will not be a gate of heaven with angels ascending and descending upon us if we don't build intimacy, if we don't make ourselves a joyful house of prayer. Remember the three things we learned from the wedding. We have influence. Prayer is the way we exercise our influence. And there's no reason it shouldn't be joyful because God is a celebratory God. He likes celebration. In fact, he'll even give you more wine to continue the celebration. Not only that, he'll give you better wine. Whatever entertains us, whatever feeds us, whatever fuels us, wherever we find our peace, I'm telling you, uh, what Jesus has is better. It's better peace. It's better entertainment. But it takes pressing in to being a house of prayer. It takes pressing into intimacy with him. We have to be a joyful house of prayer. So here's what I get out of this chapter. He is zealous about the place of prayer because it's about visitation. It's about intimacy. He's zealous about the place of prayer because he's using prayer to uh, increase his kingdom and his government through his church that he's building. Amen? And so... King priests, you guys know we're king priests, right? He's made us kings and priests to our God. Kings exercise governmental authority. Priests intercede. So king priests increase his government and his peace by ruling through intercession. Let me say that again so you can hear that. King priests increase the government and peace of the kingdom of heaven by ruling through intercession. We are primarily to be a house of prayer. And by we, I don't just mean Church on the Rock. I mean each little temple in here. You and me. Revelation 5.10 says, And he has made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Now, think any of that can happen now? Just want to wait till Jesus comes again and reign? Be easier then. But I'm telling you, we can begin to exercise reign now through intercession. We have influence. We can do that. And uh, the more of us do it, the easier it gets. It's real hard for one person to exercise reign over Melbourne. But a lot of people can. You follow me? Ever-increasing government and peace through zealous prayer. It's happened in history. We can do it again. So here's the thing. We can't let prayer become that unimportant court that's replaced with religious activity. Yes, I know we need to pray, but I got all this other stuff. It's more important than I. It's, right? I'm telling you, I'm not lying. I've been in, I bet, thousands of prayer meetings now. And it is the hardest thing to get Christians to do consistently. It is the hardest thing. They will give money before they'll pray. It is the hardest thing. And yet it's the thing that God said his house is all about. A house of prayer. Place of intimacy. Place of visitation. Now, 
It's not either or. It's not like you need to quit doing ministry so that you can pray. It's what comes first. It's prayer is first. Prayer is primary. Prayer fuels ministry. Teaching's good. Uh, you know, we'd still need to do the money change dove thing. We'd still need to do all that. We still need to do ministry. But it needs to be fueled by prayer. Maybe, and this is just a thought, maybe the church has been weak in our ministry because we haven't fueled it with prayer. Because we've been doing it in our own strength. Because we've forgotten how Jesus started and began his ministry. My house will be a house of prayer. So it's not either or. It fuels all. I, guys, I've even been in prayer meetings that, you know, it said, this is a prayer meeting. Everybody came new. This is a prayer meeting. And it turns into a wrestling match for it to not be a testimony meeting, uh, a teaching meeting, a prophesying meeting. Yep. Yeah. All those things are good. I'm doing one of them right now. I like teaching. But teaching is this way. Prayer is this way. Right? right? Have you guys been in meetings where you go, I thought, I thought we were going to pray? It's human nature. It's the thing the enemy will resist the most, and it's the most powerful thing you can do. It fuels everything else. You start your day with prayer, you watch how the rest of it goes. You start whatever you're doing for ministry with prayer, and you watch how it goes. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Because God wants to give us times of visitation. You want to visit from God? All right. Well, let's bring the band up. And uh, we'll worship him and see if he'll visit. How's that? That work? We'll just shift our focus vertical and invite him to come visit us. Amen? So, Lord, we just pray as the band comes that you would indeed visit us. Lord, that you would turn over whatever tables you need to in our hearts. Lord, so that we could protect that place of prayer, that place of intimacy. And Lord, we just remind ourselves that you are good. You desire us to influence you. You desire celebration with us. Uh, Lord, you desire uh, all these things to give us better pleasures. Lord, we thank you uh, that you want to make us joyful in the house of prayer. So, Lord, we just invite you now to do that. In Jesus' name.